Welcome back to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Joshua, the sixth book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And we're going to begin with verse one. If you want to read along with me, here we go. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So the people are the congregation that was rescued from enslavement in Africa. They've made it to what they're calling the promised land, what was officially called Canaan and what's currently called Israel or Palestine, that same area around the west side of the Jordan River. They crossed over the water in, an, in a story that sort of mimics the story of when they crossed the Red Sea. The water was miraculously parted for them to cross over it on dry, on dry land, and then the waters after they crossed were filled in again. And it's a very dramatic thing since really they could have just been led up closer instead of going all the way around to the east side of the Jordan River they could have just been led up to up the west side to um, from where they were it would have been a shorter trip but it's not how it happened so it's how we're reading it so that's where the people are at this point Moses is already dead from um, the end of the book of Deuteronomy Joshua is the new leader and Lord, it, when it's all caps, seems to be translated from the word Jehovah for the uh, at least most often so far. Um, verse two. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, "Make first, make flint knives for yourself, and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time." So this is uh, a surgery that's being talked about. It's a circumcision, the same circumcision that people get in modern times. Generally, it's little babies when you get it done. Uh, little baby males get it done uh, but people couldn't still get it done as adults it's a good idea in general separate from all the religious connotations uh, just for hygiene's sake and also for to pre prevent disease because those folds of skin can hold bacteria which can lead to infection so circumcision in that sense is a good idea but in the religious sense it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me if it's something that God would prefer males to be to be circumcised, then why not just make males born circumcised, you know, born without a foreskin? But that's not how it turns out. Uh, but it's how it's written. So and that's not even the first surgery that's mentioned in the Bible. The circumcision is the one that's generally accepted. But there was a, sur a surgery that happened before circumcision was, and churches often just overlook it. It's the surgery that Adam underwent went to for the creation of Eve. It's what we call a surgery. He was put to sleep, a deep sleep according to Genesis, and um, that's when the surgery happened. Um, something was taken out of him, and used because he was created male and female that's what it says they were created people the first people which weren't Adam which was not Adam or Eve there were people created in Genesis chapter 1 created male and female in the image of God it even says in Genesis chapter 1 then Adam was created in Genesis chapter 2 
also apparently male and female. He was created, what we call hermaphroditic or intersexed, and put to sleep in that surgery to create Eve, to extract something from Adam and then to create Eve. Churches will overlook all of that and somehow vilify and demonize LGBT people, particularly the T in LGBT to trans people for some reason, even though those surgeries, like I just mentioned, were mentioned all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. And yet people will thump their Bibles, ignore all of that and cling to their hate. Um, let them cling to it. May, let them burn in hell with it for all I, and all I care at this point. Because it just doesn't make sense for people to just keep indulging hate when that's not what Christianity is about at all. And that's according to Jesus. But so just so you understand, that's what's happening. And that's circumcision is a surgery. And that's what they're about to undergo now to uh, circumcise the new generation of people who've made it to the promised land because remember all of the previous generation who went through the red sea crossing um emancipated from slavery in egypt to make it to the gates of the promised land were all sentenced to death by the lord and i'm just saying it's the lord since that's what it reads um and they all are dead except for two and only uh, of a certain age and then only the younger people under 20 years old who made it through those events are alive at this point in the narrative. And so they didn't get circumcised. The other generation did. Now it's their turn to get circumcised. Verse four, and this is the reason. Oh, and it seems really harsh because we're only up to verse three, sorry. Or maybe we didn't. Uh, no, okay, so we're up to verse three. Um, to do it with a flint knife seems, man, they must have had some sort of um, am, um, anesthetic or something, booze, something to help the people deal with having to go through something like that, especially as an adult, to go through a circumcision, circumcision surgery as an adult with a flint knife. That's just a sharpened stone, basically, um, not even some sharp metal, but it's how it says it happened and they've all undergone it now. Verse 3, so Joshua made flint knives, or getting ready to, so Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. So what a name. So there were so many men, males being circumcised that they could make a hill of all the foreskins that were cut off from uh, all those males. You have to be really dedicated to the religion or whatever cause it is uh, to do that. To at this point as an adult get a circumcision babies get it because they don't have any choice in it their parents choose to do it to them or have it done to them but for an adult to do it you'd have to be really dedicated um, because it takes time to heal and I imagine there must be some pain involved but it's how it says it happened so they've all under underwent it and they've made a hill of all the foreskins that they've gathered uh, verse 4 and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them all the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. So just like I was saying, that whole generation that already went underwent circumcision are all dead. And it, they they were sentenced to death again by the Lord because they weren't faithful to going to go conquer uh, the promised land. Some of them wanted, would rather have turned back to being enslaved again rather than continue on the journey that they've been taken on, led through by Moses at the command of the 
religious leaders and Lord that they're or the entity that they're identifying as their Lord, they would have rather just turned back and been slaves again. But for that, they paid a price. They were sentenced to die in those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and not make it to that promised land. Verse 5, for all the people who came out, of, out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So just like I was saying, the next generation along the way, while they were wandering in the years, those 40, in the wilderness, those 40 years hadn't been circumcised. That's the point of them getting circumcised at this point. Verse 6, for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So that's what I was saying. I didn't realize it was going to go into it like this. Otherwise, I didn't mean to get ahead of the uh, ahead of the verses, but we already went through this. So that's the reason because they were considered unfaithful. And so that even though they were on already on the way to the promised land flowing with milk and honey, basically meaning a prosperous land, um, they were sentenced to die, and all of them did die, um, except the two. Verse 7, Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So a little redundant, but it's saying that's why, that's why the next generation was circumcised. Verse 8, So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their place in the camp till they were healed. So yeah, it takes time to heal after having something like that done. And just in case you don't understand what circumcision is, when males are born, as far as I know, all males are born with that extra, not all, but generally all males are born with that extra skin. Why, again, I don't know. If it's preferred by the Lord who creates us, uh, why not just make us born without that extra skin? But that's what it is. There's extra skin born that basically enshrouds the penis and you can have it cut off. So um, that's what they've all gone through, that circumcision. Um, and it takes time to heal because it's a surgery. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So, um when it says uh, rolled away that seems like a pun since basically that's what that circumcised skin does you roll it back to expose the head of the penis uh, but in circumcision you cut it away so that it's not there at all um, and Gilgal translates to the word rolling so um, uh, when, it's, when it says roll back the reproach of Egypt from you um, I'm not sure why Egypt would be a reproach to them since they went there to rescue themselves from starvation. It turned out to be a refuge for them. Um, so I'm not sure why it would be considered a reproach. And they were enslaved there. That's not any shame on their part. The shame would be on the people who enslave other people. Although, it, according to the narratives we read so far, the same Lord that delivered them from slavery turned around and told them, gave them rules on how they can enslave other people and even pass human beings down as property to each other. And yet, we're supposed to believe that that same Lord is unbiased uh, toward all of humanity, yet 
frees one group from slavery and tells them how to enslave another group. That doesn't sound like any God Almighty that I would call, think of as God Almighty, but it is how it reads. So let's keep reading. Verse 10. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. So they're keeping the Passover holiday just like it's currently observed um, um, at the same time each year they're observing it there and they're telling us where they did it at the plains uh, of Jericho and that's still an area that exists in modern times the ruins of the ancient Jericho still um, stand also people visit them verse 11 and they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day so now that they've made it to that promised land and been circumcised and passover has arrived now they can eat of the fruit of the land they're not only eating manna anymore um but i don't want to get ahead of myself on that either or you know ahead of the readings here so it's letting us know now they're eating the produce of the land verse 12 then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year so I'm glad I stopped right here manna is that considered bread from heaven as it says in the Old Testament even though Jesus lets us know um, the manna that they ate was not bread from heaven but Jesus himself is that bread from heaven um, so uh, uh, emphasizing again there's more than one religion in the Bible Christianity considers Jesus the bread from heaven and that's according to Jesus um, whereas other religions will consider the manna that the people ate during the wilderness years and not all the people just the common people the elites the religious leaders were still eating meat they were eating barbecue along the way and sometimes they would share it with the people but for the most part the people were enriching them so that they could eat and get fat whereas the people were basically sick of the manna uh, more than once they rebelled against having only that bread to eat and the whole manna narrative we've read about how um, the people would gather it and then have it to eat for that one day um, but ordered not to keep any overnight um, and otherwise it would spoil and breed worms and all of that and they would basically bake it and make pancakes of it or hot cakes of it um, and that's what the people would eat but again the religious leaders the elites weren't uh, eating that alone at all um verse 13 but so now that they've made it to the promised land and are eating the fruit of the land the manna that was miraculously being provided for them has ceased verse 13 and it came to pass when joshua was by jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him are you for us or for our adversaries so if in case you're not reading along with me when it says a man here the word man is capitalized um, to sort of highlight that it's not just a human man it's some sort of since it's capitalized I would think it's saying that it's God but uh, it it can't possibly be God, at least according to what we read in the New Testament, since no one has seen God or heard his voice at any time, according to what the New Testament says. But um, according to the Old Testament, people would sit down and eat with God, even wrestle with God. Um, 
So if you, if you um, make sense of that how best you can, uh, like I said, we've gone over it again and again, what I believe it means, but believe what you want to. At this point, though, they seem to have some sort of supernatural man that's accompanying them along the way, um, but a supernatural man that uses a sword. So if it is God, why would God need a sword? God is able to open up the ground and swallow people up or able to send lightning and strike people down or able to part the sea and then drown people in it. Why would the Lord need a sword, a physical sword in his hand? Yet man and his are capitalized in this verse. So it, it's to emphasize that it's not just a human man that's accompanying them. Um, so let's see who that man quote unquote is verse 14 so he said no oh so before we read on 13 um, verse 13 so Joshua's uncertain who the man with the sword is also so he's asking him whose side is he on is he on their side or against them verse 14 so he said no but as commander of the army of the Lord I've now come and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him what does my Lord say to his servant so uh, let's just check Lord is still being translated from the word uh, name Jehovah at this point um, so if it's so that's how Joshua is is um, addressing the man with the sword as Lord and the man with the sword doesn't say no he's not the Lord and then the word Lord um, at the latter part of this verse is translated from the word Adonai um, and again, as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. Um, but again, that contradicts what we read in the New Testament about no one ever having uh, seen or heard the Lord's voice. Um, yet some people will thump a Bible and say the whole Bible is the word of God. Well, then if that's the case, it's contradictory. It can't all possibly be the word of God. And why would God be contradictory and even ever shifting? And we've seen it ever shift again and again and again. And we're only in the sixth book so far. So um, whatever the case may be, the entity that Joshua has encountered at this point carries a sword. Joshua is identifying that as the Lord. and um, But the person himself says they're the commander of the army of the Lord. So it seems to me it must be some sort of angel if you're going to... Um, Accept the narrative as the truth. It can't be God Almighty. Why would God need a sword? And then why would God be appearing and talking to people? And then later on in the Bible say that, have it be said that no one's seen or heard God at any time. Um, so it must be some sort of angelic being. Um, that's the only way I could rationalize it. And then the person themselves identify themselves not as God Almighty, not as Jesus, not as the Lord. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, it says, and that that's the purpose of their coming. Um, so um, Joshua is accepting that and fell down to worship and even said to him, um, what does my Lord say to his servant? So whether it's God Almighty or not, Joshua is accepting the entity, the deity, whatever it is, whoever he is, as the Lord and worshiping him. Verse 15, then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So 
that also contradicts what we read in the New Testament of what Jesus says, that life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. If that's true, and I believe the things Jesus said are the truth of what God would have us know as Christians about what everything is about. So why in the world would it matter uh, whether Joshua has his shoes on or not? Just like why would it matter when... Um, uh, it's similar to when Moses had his shoes on and had the whole burning bush episode and was told to take his shoes off um, because he was on holy uh, land or the place where he was standing was holy also um, so make sense of it how best you can uh, I'm just reading it to you what it says but so the um, the um, now the entity that showed up has identified himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. And um, now even the narrator who's passing on the story, presumably Joshua, is now also identifying the entity as the commander of the Lord's army um, himself. And one last thing about that, um, well, if the Lord has an army and even has a commander, why would the people need to be an army? Why would the people need to be told to go in and massacre the people who already live there in that land of Canaan, the promised land? It doesn't make sense to me. But again, make sense of it as best you can. Um, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Why would the Lord give the command, thou shalt not kill, with the whole Moses and Ten Commandments affirmed by Jesus, but then also give the people the command to go in and steal the land because that's what it is they're going in and taking the land from the people who live there and also giving them the command to massacre and kill them and then not only that we read even further that they're supposed to kill everyone man woman and child except for women that they find attractive women that they find attractive they're able they've been told they can kidnap that's what it would be called in plain plain english humble um it, the uh, is the euphemism for what it's called um, by shaving the women's hair off and um, making them wait a month in um, in that um, imprisonment you know once they've been captured and then they're allowed to rape them that's what it says in the in, in plain English in the previous chapters that we've read does that really sound like what God Almighty who sees everyone the same or as equals anyway and unbiased would say it doesn't seem like that to me but um it is how it reads so um if you're a bible thumper and think that the whole bible is what you're supposed to be abiding by from genesis to revelation then um, good luck with that because it doesn't make sense to me but it is how i read so that's why we're reading it and that's and we're reading it i for him at least for my part because again i identify as a christian and specifically red letter christian meaning I believe the things Jesus has to say are what it is, are our portion as Christians to take from the Bible, to glean from the Bible. Not that you can't um, figure out other things or even get good instruction from other things like, for instance, Proverbs and the different wisdom that is um, spread out there. Um, doesn't mean you have to reject all of the rest of it. It just means to me that as a Christian, what we're supposed to live by or have as our uh, marching orders so to speak are the things jesus says he is after all who we believe to be christ so since christianity is named for christ and he came with the purpose to give us the message that god would have us know it only shows up in those red letters and that's only appears in six of the 60 plus books of the bible so 
it seems to me that's the tithe for us Christians to adhere to and should supersede anything else in the Bible, at least in my opinion. And that's what we focus on here on The Naked Truth. And um, that's why we read the, those um, read the other parts of the Bible to see how they stand up to what Jesus has to say. And some of these things seem like they can't possibly be from God Almighty, but instead seem clearly from religion or patriarchy or some other source other than God Almighty, because wouldn't God be unbiased? Um, just my opinion, uh, and just reading it to you so we can all try to get an understanding. But we're going to stop reading it here because that was the last verse of this chapter. And I appreciate you reading along with me and hope you'll join me again. God bless you. Stay safe. I love you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.